Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Miranda answers questions about MLC's Researching Black Ancestry series. Researching Black Ancestry is a four-episode YouTube series specifically focused on tips and tricks for genealogical research involving Black family history. The series ended with a panel discussion between experts in the field. Want to learn more about this type of research? Stay tuned! Hi and welcome. My name is Charlie Simpkins and I'm the digital consultant at MLC. I'm usually behind the scenes of the podcast Acts and Stories, but today I have the pleasure of speaking with Miranda Vaughn, the reference and archives librarian here at MLC. She created a four-part webinar series on researching Black ancestry that showcases resources and methods related to African-American genealogy. How are you doing, Miranda? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Charlie. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and get into it. First of all, I've seen this topic referred to as African-American ancestry and Black ancestry. What is the difference and which is appropriate to use? That is a very good question, Charlie. I'm glad you asked. Um, First of all, uh, language, of course, is important. We might try to say that it isn't, but words do matter. So there are a lot of, of terms that, let's say, 50 years ago we used to describe people that we think about now that just make us cringe, right? (laughs) So clearly, language changes over time, especially as we grow more as a society, learn more about each other, develop more compassion for one another, um, things like that change. And so the reason why we chose to um, call this series Researching Black Ancestry is because it's been kind of the general consensus in the um, Black American community that Black is more, I guess, encompassing of what the their experience is as opposed to african-american african-american can be kind of limiting now that's not to say that it's offensive and you can still kind of use it interchangeably but the language is kind of evolving to lean more towards saying black americans as opposed to african-americans a lot of black people really feel a disconnect between um africa and, and themselves you know there's such a there's such a diverse heritage there because of the history of the institution of slavery and all of that. You have, you know, black Americans are not just from Africa. They also have European ancestry. They also have Native American ancestry, Caribbean ancestry. And so to just limit it to Africa is just that. It's very limiting. So um, calling themselves black is just an easier way to sort of fully describe what their experience is. And of course, we want to be respectful of that. You can't hear it in the podcast, but you will see it when it's written. It's black with a capital B so that it stops being an adjective and it starts being a proper noun, you know, and which kind of, if you think about it, gives it legitimacy and gives it sort of a sense of sovereignty um, as well. And so it's just kind of the more respectful term to use. so that's why we chose to do that. And while we're on the subject of language, Charlie, <laughs> you'll also notice, hopefully the listeners will go check out this series after they listen to this podcast, but we also use the terms 
enslavers and the enslaved, as opposed to slave owners and slaves. And that's also a way that language is sort of evolving as we, again, become more understanding of um, other, what we consider like minorities and their history and their background. We start to use different kinds of language that sort of, um, I guess, covers more bases. We use the the term enslavers as opposed to slave owners because that sort of, it sort of gives more responsibility to the people who did enslave people. You know, slave owners, if you think about it, can be kind of passive, like, oh, they own slaves the way they would own silverware or whatever. But if you think of them as enslavers who were actively enslaving people, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's really more of what it was. And then when you call enslaved people slaves, that kind of gives them an unfair label, you know, because they were humans who were enslaved. And I think that it's important to recognize that because one of the things that kept the slave, the institution of slavery going for so long was that it took away their humanity. And so by calling them the enslaved, as in, you know, human beings who were enslaved, it gives that humanity back a little bit. Yeah. So that's why we use that that kind of language. It's like active and passive language, enslavers versus the enslaved. Okay, that makes sense. So <laughs> it's, it was a it's, long rant. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's very informative. That makes a lot of sense. So with this project, the four-part series on black ancestry genealogy, uh, how did that project come about? Like, why did you choose to specifically do black ancestry? One of the main functions of the Library Commission is to educate our fellow librarians to provide workshops and seminars and, you know, whatever we can to try to help out our public librarians and in turn their patrons, our patrons. But because of the pandemic, a lot of those things that would normally be in person then changed to being virtual. So we started doing a lot of webinars. And so if you go on our YouTube channel, you'll see we have webinars on everything from reader's advisory to, um, you know, accommodating people with disabilities. And this was sort of um, something that our reference staff wanted to do uh, because we do deal with a lot of genealogy questions, both from our own patrons and from other librarians in the state who need some assistance with their genealogical um, projects. So we wanted to do a genealogy series in general, but um, because the topic of black ancestry has kind of been, I guess, a hot topic (laughs) in the field for a few years now, just because we're starting to be able to, first of all, recognize the need to preserve black history in a way that it wasn't before. And also we have access to more records, like digital records and things than we used to, but conducting genealogical research on black families is a lot different from doing genealogy on, you know, your typical white family. Yeah. Um, because there are just records that are either really hard to access or just simply do not exist. And so that can be really hard to navigate. It's very unlikely that if you are a black person researching your family history, it's it's pretty likely that you're going to hit a wall at some point, probably around 1870, <laughs> 1860, yeah. just because either records don't exist or, you know, things like names change and stuff like that, locations and stuff when you go from enslavement to emancipation and stuff like that. 
So approaching uh, researching Black ancestry is just a different approach. And so we felt the need, because that is a growing area and because it's a difficult area to navigate, we wanted to just um, educate our librarians and patrons on kind of what resources are out there and how to navigate those resources. Awesome. So you came from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History before MLC? I did. I worked there prior to. Did you do a lot of black ancestry research there? Um, there was a good bit. I mean, my primary job was just kind of to kind of be there as an assistant, you know, as assistance um, to them. So there wasn't a lot of hands-on stuff that I did personally, but we did have on a regular basis, black families come in and research their family history. Um, along with, we had a lot of Native Americans as well. And a lot of those interlap, um, overlap, overlap. Okay. <laughs> as well. So, yeah. Do, do you run into the same walls with Native American ancestry research as you do black ancestry research? You run into more walls than you would, again, a lot of this is just compared to white or European ancestry. That's right. just going to have the most, you know. It's just a different situation. Yes, there are also walls, but what happens with black ancestry, what you're dealing with prior to 1870 is property instead of people. Right. So it's hard to find things on records that you would normally find people on. You have to look at things like wills and deeds and things and like lawsuits regarding property where property would be exchanged. Mm. And that's just not really something that you, you find with Native Americans. Okay. So, so uh, the four-part webinar series, what kind of information can someone expect to learn watching each part? So in the first part, it's more of an introduction. We just call it like getting started. Um, and it's basically, I give a little bit of background information about um, the history of black people in America. You know, the uh, pointing out that there were free people of color and there are resources for helping you uh, locate free people of color. I know Louisiana has, has a resource that covers some area of Mississippi as well. And so it was just a little bit of historical background as well as just kind of an introduction to genealogy, just basic genealogy tips. Kind of the number one tip that we give people is start with what you know. Mm -hmm. um, so you start with, your pre with the present, you start with yourself, and then you work your way backwards when it comes to like the generations and stuff. So just basic tips like that in the first part. And then part two starts the actual resources. Um, so part two we call national records, um, but it also covers some international records and like websites and databases. We talk a little bit about the National Archives and Records Administration. We talk about the Library of Congress. Um, Ancestry.com is of course a big one, so we talk about that one you know, databases and things like Heritage Quest and um, RootsWeb and different websites that can be accessed. Ancestry.com in particular has um, access to some international records as well. So um, just kind of, these are all just overviews of those resources and tried to point out, you know, what what websites and databases require subscriptions, you know, what's free and what, what you can access at your public library for free. And so just to kind of point people in the direction of what resources are available and how to access those resources. 
And then in part three, we cover Mississippi records. So these are records that are either housed in Mississippi or maybe housed elsewhere, but involved, but are related directly to Mississippi. And so, of course, we cover the Library Commission in that one. Uh, We also cover the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. We cover a couple of university libraries, um, Mississippi State University and, I believe, Southern Miss, um, who all have what I would call supplemental information. Their records probably don't have, like, things that would help you fill in the timeline, but they have maybe photographs or newspaper clippings or something like that in some of their private collections that might relate to your family. So yeah, um, they have good ones. And then the Mississippi Digital Library and also the Singing River Genealogical Library as well. We, w- we wanted this to be something that people could look at and kind of make their own genealogy plan, I guess, like figure out, okay, what resources can I access from home? Um, and what do I need to travel for? You know, what's going to cost me money and yeah. kind of figure out what the best route is because some of these institutions house some of the same records. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of figuring out which ones work best for you. So that was also another thing that we were trying to point out in this series. Um, and then part four is just kind of a wrap up with additional resources and guides. So we talk a little bit about Native American ancestry in that one because there was a lot of overlap between black ancestry and native american ancestry um we talk a little bit about interpreting records <laughs> which we honestly could have made a whole series on yeah because once you get into these census records and things from where everything's handwritten and you're having to interpret handwriting and you're having to interpret you know abbreviations for terms that we don't use anymore and it can be really difficult and it can be really discouraging you know especially if you're not used to that kind of research and you're already a little discouraged like that can be something that just turns you off of genealogy (laughs) you know automatically so we talk a little bit about like how things are listed on census records, you know, how races are listed and how, you know, families are listed in the family hierarchy. And and this, that's another thing. The spelling of people's names can oh, yeah. vary from... <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. When you said, uh, talk about interpreting records, not only the, like, coding and the, the language that's used and the handwriting, but also thinking that cursive writing isn't really taught as much as it used to be or emphasized. Right. The fact that a lot of these historical documents were written in cursive Mm kind of makes you wonder how it's going to be interpreted later if we don't have a transcript of it now. Right. So so, um, there was a follow-up to the series. You did a virtual panel discussion on black ancestry. Um, Who were the panel members for that discussion? The panel members uh, were amazing. Um, we were so lucky to be able to get professionals from a diverse range of fields, I guess. And uh, so we had Dee Dee Baldwin, who is from the Mississippi State University Libraries, Mona Vance Ali from the Columbus Lounge Public Library System. We had William Thompson, who came from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. And Sharon Morgan, who is a writer, she's a genealogist, and she is the founder of the Our Black Ancestry Foundation. So we were really lucky to get 
like I'm not just saying this, like in my opinion, these are some of the best in the field um, yeah. in our state. And so we were really lucky to, to get them and they had a great conversation. That is awesome. So you, you had some heavy hitters there. How did the discussion go? It went really well. We had a great turnout. It was one of the best turnouts for any of our virtual um, events that we've had. They just talked a lot about issues relating to um, researching Black ancestry, talked a little bit about their personal experiences, helping patrons doing their own family research, talked about resources that their particular institutions have that they find are very helpful most of the time. They were good about giving advice to both researchers who may be you know, doing genealogy for the first time, as well as to librarians and archivists and professionals who may be assisting with the research as well. So they all have a lot of experience. They all bring unique perspectives to the table. They also were able to add a little bit to the series that had already been posted at that point. Um, They talked about some of the same things that we talked about, were able to expound upon that. It was a really good conversation. It was very engaging and very very helpful and informative awesome so that's a lot of information you've put together you did a four-part series you had a panel discussion and all this was on the youtube channel and shared on social media what has the response been to all of these resources we've had a lot of good response thankfully you know you always you hope when you put things like this out that it will be helpful and do its job so i've been really pleased to see that it has been helpful we've gotten some really good feedback from other librarians in the state we actually had a few who requested handouts or syllabi to go along with uh, these videos and so we've created those as well um, because that's another function of these videos is that they can be used in other libraries for their own workshops you know this is the videos are resources in and of themselves so we created syllabi to go along with each video that our patrons or other librarians can access from us as well wow the four-part series, the supplementary resources, and the panel discussion, can people still access these resources? Yes, they can. They are on the Library Commission's YouTube page, and they can also contact our reference department, or they can contact me personally um, to get the handouts and things that go along with them. We can, of course, put all of that information, the contact information in the episode description so that it'll be written out for everyone. But yes, they are all available on YouTube and through our social media. Okay. Obviously, there is a need and interest in this type of information. Are there plans to create more content about this? We would love to. Um, I actually am planning to do a series in the future that talks talks a little bit more about the interpreting documents (laughs) segment of it because if you don't have a history background or a research background it can be really overwhelming to do this kind of research so a lot of people just aren't familiar with using primary sources for research even professionals even librarians in the field sometimes aren't really familiar with doing that and so when you're looking at really old documents with the handwriting and all of that you know and just the way things are written there is kind of a technique to it in the future i'm planning on uh, doing a webinar about researching using primary 
uh, yeah. resources as well. And then once we're able to kind of get out and travel around a little bit and do more things in person, we're always open to doing workshops and things at, at libraries as well. well that's so. awesome. It's also interesting to look at the, the handwriting just because, like today, you have some people that have beautiful penmanship. Mm-hmm. And then some of them look kind of like mine. It looks like a chicken walked through an inkwell and <laughs> stepped all over the paper. Um, right. <laughs> I do have one last question. So you've done black ancestry research here and some at the Mississippi Department of Archives. What do you think is the most uh, interesting or fascinating thing that you've learned or discovered while doing that? Oh, there are so many fascinating things about the whole um, the whole subject, honestly. I always love any time I get to look at like family maps and things like that, the historical maps, because a lot of times if you're looking at previously enslaved people and you're not really sure what their life was like before they were freed, you're not sure maybe who enslaved them, anything like that. A lot of times you can just look at like old family maps and most of the freed people stayed in the general area, sometimes even on the actual land that they were enslaved on. So it's pretty easy. (laughs) It's pretty easy to just look at what white landowning families were in the area and narrow that down. It's kind of the little, you know, the fun detective part of it. (laughs) Um, So those kinds of things are always fun. But a specific story, this is actually kind of professional, kind of personal. Um, I had a friend who was uh, interested in doing some genealogical research on her family, and she was kind of asking me for advice and telling me what she already knew, which again, like I said, start with what you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently, it's kind of a known thing in her family that her great-grandfather had at one point, I think it was probably in the early 1900s, owned some land that was on an old plantation in Yellowbusha County. He decided to sell the land to this man. And of course, back in the day, you know, your word is as good as gold and all that. And the man promised that he would pay him for the land. So he trusted the man's word and went ahead and signed the deed and everything over to him. And the man never paid him. Oh, no. And... (laughs) Not long after that, I don't know if it was a few months, a few years, but that man got decapitated in a cotton gin. What? <laughs> so listen up, boys and girls. This is <laughs> your, your moral tale of the day. Do not cheat people out of their land and money. Don't cheat people in general, or else you might get just randomly decapitated. Oh my goodness. But yeah, and this is something, I mean, it's something that like their family has sort of passed down. There's not really any proof that he was never paid, I guess. And that's kind of been the issue of like, well, the deed was signed legally, you know, the land belonged to this man, but he was never paid for it. So, you know, ethically speaking, it still should be in their family. Right. So yeah, that it was a wild story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> And I said that was my last question. I kind of lied. I kind of didn't because <laughs> this is not a question. Yesterday, you and I were having a conversation, and we were talking about the upkeep of uh, cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that's kind of related to this topic. Could you kind of go over what we were discussing yesterday? Sure. Um, well, one of my kind of passion projects is 
I would love to be able to work in a capacity where I'm able to help preserve African-American cemeteries. The thing with that is, if you're not familiar with (laughs) historically black cemeteries, is first of all, if you can even find them, they're often overgrown, tons of unmarked graves. You know, they just weren't taken care of. Usually they're kind of like at the back of the white cemetery off in the woods somewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, And so being able to find them is, is difficult. And then once you find them, you know, being able to preserve them, being able to figure out who was actually buried there, you know, um, is a big issue too. And in genealogical research, using things like find a grave and just cemetery records in general, like those are some of the main records that people use um, to find their, to, to fill in the timeline. Yeah. And that's also another area that's difficult for black Americans to do because you have unmarked graves and things and um i know a few years ago i was in atlanta and decided that for juneteenth i was gonna find a local uh, black cemetery and go exploring because i love cemetery exploring in general and so so i was able (laughs) i was able to find one that was again just kind of at the back of a white cemetery and it had a fence and everything there but I mean, I couldn't even go into the cemetery because it was so overgrown. I was oh. afraid that snakes would attack me or something. And I could kind of make out a few headstones here and there, but it was just very overgrown. With any cemetery, usually it's a, there's either a church who takes care of it, or if you're lucky, there might be some sort of local organization that takes care of that sort of things, or it's just private citizens. Yeah. And this was one that undoubtedly whoever was taking care of it died or moved or something and nobody was taking care of it anymore and when that happens there was an apartment complex that was actually built over half of the cemetery (laughs) and you know these are things that should be protected by you know the historical preservation you know powers that be um but so many times they're not so that also can affect uh genealogy research and just black history in general you know and it makes me sad to think about that they're just not being preserved the way that other cemeteries are. That is really sad. Two things. One, I would not want to stay in that apartment complex. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and two, we are not saying take this upon yourself and go out and try to preserve them. There are special methods to trying to preserve headstones and things of that nature. You can mess them up if you do it incorrectly. So if yeah. you're going to try to help, get training first. Yeah, and I will point out that find a grave is updated by whoever you know wants to um so and i have noticed that there have been a few uh black cemeteries on find a grave that where people have just gone out with their own personal cameras and taken pictures of some of the headstones and just kind of filled in the information as best they could yeah so that's another reason why find a grave is a pretty good resource awesome (laughs) awesome it's been very informative Thank you for chatting with me about this. Thank you for having me, Charlie. My pleasure, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.